Thank you for coming. Acts chapter 9 and verse 10. And there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. He recognized the voice of the Lord. Behold, I'm here, Lord. And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the street, which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he prayeth. I love that the Lord added those last four words, for behold, he prayeth, because no doubt Ananias being a disciple, he also had heard the stories of this man tormenting the churches, getting permission from the governmental authorities to move into the houses and arrest Christians. And um, I'm sure this was not an assignment Ananias was excited about, but the Lord said, for behold, he prayeth. There's been a change, Ananias. Behold, he prayeth. Boy. So many times you and I can see things on the surface, but God can sometimes just whisper to you a message. Things are changing. Behold, he prayeth. I want to uh, draw our message this morning just from this uh, very simple instruction that the Lord gave to Ananias. Arise and go into the street. And I just want to talk to you today about the street. The street. Everybody say the street. You may be seated. Thank you so much for standing. It should not come as any surprise that Saul, of course, who we know's name was later changed to Paul, was witnessed to and prayed for when salvation came to him by the Spirit instructing Ananias to go into the street called straight. I think that this is important because we see from the ministry of Paul that he would witness in the streets. And that he was, I believe, foreordained by God to really be the apostle to the Gentiles. And to literally win the Gentiles, he would go into the streets. The Jews were one in synagogues, but the Gentiles were one on the streets. How many encounters did Paul have with Gentiles on the street that became conversions? The number is almost uh, too great to count. Mars Hill and Athens, the streets of Corinth, Derby and Lystra, the jail of Philippi, the theater of Diana and Ephesus, over a fire on the beach of Melita, which is now called Malta, Macedonia and Antioch. He would reason in the synagogue with the Jews, but then he would reach the Gentiles in the streets in one city after another. There is a special anointing that comes from the streets. And so it, it, it should not come as a surprise, though it did to me, that indeed Paul's initial conversion came from the Lord giving instructions, almost like a GPS does for us now, telling Ananias to go to the street called Straight and inquire of one named Paul. Now, 
Paul had had a spiritual encounter with God. He was up on his horse and literally, figuratively, not just literally, he was on his horse and also up on his high horse because, you know, he was getting permission to continue his raid of Christians' homes and was now moving into Damascus and, 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 and his governmental connections and his education as a doctor of the law and his, uh, you know, respected position in the communities. He, he was using it for his advantage to do what he thought was the right thing to do, and that was to persecute Christians, to try to eradicate this new uh, allegiance, this new faith, as it were, to Jesus Christ. And so he was very uh, instrumental. He was very effective. And he was passionate about it. So from this, he is knocked off of his horse. We read about this incredible conversion in, in Acts chapter 9 as he's riding along with his uh, companions and he is, you know, on his way to Damascus. And, and the Lord has to literally stop him in his tracks and tell him, whoa, what are you doing? What do you think you're doing? The Bible says that a bright light shone from heaven and it literally blinded him. And he was knocked off of his horse. We read about this in Acts 9. He fell to the earth and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, who art thou, Lord? He was not familiar with the voice of God. He was doing what he thought was right. But when the Lord spoke to him, he did not recognize it. And Ananias, on the other hand, did recognize the voice of God, had heard the voice of God before. Saul was following his own ambition, his own plan, his own dreams, his own perspective of what was right. Oh, my friend, sometimes you and I can do what we think we are doing is right and that God honors it, but sometimes God has to stop us in our tracks and sometimes blind us even physically so that spiritually we can get insight. Sometimes you've got to just stop and say, you know what, I've got to have God to help me. I'm maybe at a crossroads in life and I'm trying to figure out the right thing to do and, I, and I'm not sure what to do. There's nothing wrong with saying, Lord, I need some help. I need your assistance. That doesn't mean that you're a weak human being. That means you're a wise human being to recognize the limitations of the flesh and the limitations of the natural man and to recognize that there is a God that is involved in the affairs of man. There's a God that is concerned about you and where you're at and what you're going through and the situations on your job and, and the crisis in your home. God knows where you are. You don't have to figure out everything. All you got to do is stop and say, yay, Lord, what shall I do? This is what Paul did. His name was Saul at the time. And who are you? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. The Lord was saying, I take this personal he didn't even say you're persecuting my people. He didn't say you're persecuting the church. He said, I'm Jesus whom you're persecuting. You're coming against me. Aren't you glad the Lord makes it personal? When the enemy comes against you, the Lord says, they're coming against me. 
Boy, that's why you got to stay close to God. You got to stay close to the Word of God. Hallelujah. That's why David said, uh, Oh, this uh, giant is coming against the armies of the living God. He made it personal, and the Lord came to his defense and gave him a great victory. You got to make it personal and say, I'm not just fighting this battle down here on my own. I'm trying to stand for righteousness. I'm trying to stand for holiness. I'm trying to make a stand to do the right thing at the right time, and I'm getting buffeted in every direction that's when you got to back up and say lord i'm going to just give you glory i'm going to just give you praise this is your battle let the lord fight your battles and so it is that he said it's hard for you to kick against the pricks in other words you're going the wrong direction and he's blind and he stumbles around he says arise and go into the city and it shall be told thee what thou must do now here's what's so interesting about god now here's the king of glory the, the, the king of kings. Heaven is his throne and earth is his footstool. And he knocks Paul off of his horse and he, he falls out into the street. He's blind. He's used to leading all of his companions. He's the type A, you know, male uh, alpha dog personality. And now they've got to lead him. He was used to leading everybody. And now he's blind and he's stumbling around. And as powerful as the Lord is, the Lord says to him, I want you to go and I want you to go into the city and it'll be told thee. And you know what? The Lord starts to work on the other side. And he says, Ananias, I want you to go to the street called straight. You know why? Because the Bible says he's chosen by the foolishness of preaching to save the lost. He did the same thing in Acts 10 whenever Cornelius, who was a Roman centurion, also an unlikely candidate for Christianity conversion. And he says to him, I want you to send servants to Joppa and inquire for one by the name of Peter, who's lodging at the house of Simon the Tanner. And he gives them instruction to go and for a man to come and to preach. Here we are. This is what many believe, and I would have to agree, the twelfth apostle that the Lord has chosen. He even says later in his writings in the epistles that I was one born out of due season. But yet, because of the principles and the plan of God, he leads him to a place and then he works in the heart of a man to come and to preach to him and to tell him what he must do to be saved. Oh, my friend, I'm so thankful that we had some Somebody in our life uh, that told us uh, what we must do to be saved. You say, oh, I don't need church. I don't need a preacher. I can serve God at home. I can watch God on the internet. Let me tell you something. If Paul had to be led to a man of God, if Cornelius had to be led to a man of God, what makes you so spiritual that you don't need a preacher in your life? That's not in my notes. That was just for free. But then he tells Ananias to go into the street. Oh, man, I can't get away from this. There's something about the street. I remember um, as a boy when my father was pastoring, and I was only maybe 9 or 10 years old, and we were having service down on the east end of Palm Bay Road. All of this out here was swamp. And most of the city was up Melbourne, North Melbourne. Back then it was called O'Galley. And uh, there was a place up there that was called Sarno Plaza. And Sarno Plaza had like some, uh, maybe like a Publix or some stores there, uh, like a shopping mall. Then it had like a theater on the end. 
And uh, we were just a small church, just a handful of people. But we decided that we were going to get out into the streets uh, and have street meetings. How many of you are old enough you remember street meetings? Oh, I see hands going up. We had uh, uh, the first thing that we did was we got an old school bus. And um, we brought it out there and we parked it. And uh, all the kids were in the bus and the windows would be down. We'd be hanging out the bus. And I, I used to think it was awesome because we would have so much fun. Um, there, I think the parents, though, figured it was good because it kept us confined and contained. And, uh, and so it was a great strategy. And then they would set up like a stage, like it was like an outdoor stage that was in the front. And uh, we would have different um, evangelists that would come. And we would preach. And there was no, like, real formal congregation. I mean, people were just milling around, going to their car, people coming out of the theater, going, to, people getting gas. There was a little gas station right there and all that. And, and, and we would have different ministers that would come and as evangelists, and sometimes even my father would preach. We would have people here in our church preach. But I can remember that we used to have this, this, this evangelist. Do you remember, Bishop, an evangelist called Brother Bailey? You remember him? Now, Brother Bailey was just a little short fella. But what he lacked in stature, he made up for in anointing. He was a fireball of a preacher. And I remember that we, we would have street meetings out there on Friday night. And I remember that one Friday night he was preaching. I was on the bus playing with my friends. But then at one point I was hanging out the window and, uh, and uh, the evangelist was preaching. And I remember that he just declared in the microphone to whoever was out there that would listen. Do you have a soul? And I remember him asking that rhetorical question. And my ears perked up because I wasn't quite sure what a soul was. I hadn't ever really seen a soul or been able to get my hands around a soul. I wasn't sure. So before anybody could come up with an answer, he said, you've got a soul. Every human being's got a soul. And he said, that soul is going to spend eternity somewhere, either in heaven or in hell. So I thought, okay, so I've got a soul. Everybody's got a soul. And that soul's going to live forever somewhere in heaven or hell. He said, you don't want to be living forever in hell. You can be saved tonight. Your soul can be saved. You've got to be saved. And people be like, oh, people were milling around. They were kind of talking all that. But I'm going to tell you what. If it wasn't nobody but the preacher's kid... I got down out of that bus while he was preaching. They were all like, where are you going? I said, I'm going to the altar. They said, there's no altar call yet. I said, there is for me. I remember that stage. He was preaching, Brother Bailey. We used to put him up on a box to preach. Do you remember that, Dad? He would stand up on like a Coke box and preach. I told you he was short. And he would stand up there on that Coke box and preach. And I remember coming around and getting down and kneeling down right in the middle. I mean, he's reaching into the streets for sinners. And here comes the pastor's kid who was probably the chiefest of all sinners. <laughs> and I came around and I got down on my knees and he was preaching. He kept looking down and preaching. And some of the people started coming over and praying with me. And I remember at that street meeting in Sarno Plaza saying, God, I don't want to go to hell forever. I want to go to heaven. I was sincere. I cried. I prayed. And I believe the Lord heard my prayer. 
Oh, can I preach to somebody today? If you'll reach for the streets, God will save your family. If you'll reach for those that nobody else wants to reach for, there's a God that will preserve you, your health, your marriage, your family, your home. There's a residue. There's an overflow of God's power when we're in the streets. Oh, it wasn't long after that. We were doing children's crusades and they put me in a Snoopy costume. I was about 12 years old. At first I was too short to be Snoopy. So they had Brother Harry Bermudez uh, be Snoopy. But then after a little while I kept pushing and uh, I grew a little bit and they let me be Snoopy. Had a big old Faberge head on the top of it. And it was like a white, you know, furry suit. And then some of the people in the church, they learned how to blow up them long skinny balloons and somebody came and taught us how to tie it and make it into animals and we'd get out in the back of a, my dad's suburban and we'd put the tailgate down and we'd go through neighborhoods we'd be beating drums and we'd all fan out and snoopy'd walk around kids would come around and i guess nowadays you couldn't even do that i don't even know but back then, we'd start making balloons and all that. We'd invite kids to come to Sunday school, and people would come to Sunday school. I ran into one of the, one of the young men that got saved at that ministry, Bishop, uh, just a few weeks ago. And uh, he's in church now over in Tampa. He went over to go to college once he got up at that age and got involved in a good apostolic church there. And he's still singing sometimes on the platform at camps and stuff. I see him. Big Anthony. You all know Big Anthony? Oh, he's a great guy. But he told me, he said, Pastor... You remember when y'all used to dress up as Snoopy? I said, yeah, I do. He said, I was just a boy. He said, but I got my grandmother. He said, y'all made me some dog, some wiener dog out of balloons. And, and I got so excited. And he said, I went home, told my grandmother. My grandmother started taking me to that little church. And he said, you know what? I'm still in church. I'm raising my family in church. God gave me a good wife. I got my kids. They're in Bible quiz. And I said, Anthony, I'm so thankful. Hallelujah. That even though you went to college, God's kept you. You got involved in a good church and he's preserved you. You know why? Because there's an anointing when you get on the streets. I'm thankful for this building. I'm thankful for the air conditioning and the pews. And I'm thankful for the sacrifice and all the work of all the years but oh my friend there is a God that wants us to go into the highways and the byways and compel them to come after I went to Bible school I was I was blessed to get a good job working for 3M when I was in St. Paul Minnesota and I worked in their banking division, Eastern Heights State Bank. And when I got ready to graduate from Bible school, they, they offered me a good job. They'd pay my way to go to business school and make me a branch manager. And I thought about it, but I really didn't want to spend the rest of my life in Minnesota. Of course, I was young, and 100 below zero sounded like an adventure when you're young. When you get old, it sounds like pure torment. <laughs> but it wasn't so much the climate... But it was the calling. I just felt the Lord was pushing for me to get involved in full-time ministry. And I didn't know what in the world I was doing. I didn't think it would be fair to come back here and, and uh, try to launch my ministry on the good folks of First Pentecostal Church, what we were called at the time. And so my friend, my, my youth leader, and my Bible quiz coach, uh, a fellow by the name of Chris Rossetti, we decided we were going to go evangelizing together. I had an old gold cutlass supreme that had gone through about five air conditions. 
Brother Segley kept putting new air conditions in there, and I think we had everything in there. We had coat hanger wire and everything else trying to hold that thing together. But we got that thing packed, loaded down, and Brother Rossetti and I decided we were going to go evangelizing together, only we didn't have nowhere to go. And uh, we, we didn't have no invitations. And so uh, we said, where are we going to go? And I remember that Chris said, there's a friend of mine that said we could come preach him a revival. His name is Dick Tracy. And my youth leader was a big kidder. He was a person that, when we had youth class, he told jokes for 36 minutes. And then two minutes, we'd have a Bible lesson at the end of it. And so I thought he was kidding. I said, Dick Tracy. He said, no, that's his real name. And I said, okay, let's go preach for Dick Tracy. Where's he at? He said, he pastors in Yonkers, New York. I said, all right, let's go. So we drove from, from Minneapolis, St. Paul area, that Cutlass Supreme. We drove it to Yonkers, New York. We arrived in Yonkers, New York, and he lived on the fifth floor with no elevator, with his wife and five kids. And that's where we're staying with him. So now he's got a wife and seven kids. And I remember we got out of that vehicle and the pastor said, you got to take everything out of this car because it'll be, it'll all be stolen, robbed by the morning. So, I mean, we had everything we owned was in that car. So we just, one by one, we just started hauling all that stuff up five flights of stairs and we got to the top and we'd go back down. The pastor helped us and we moved in basically. And uh, he said, all right, we're going to start revival on Wednesday night. I said, awesome. This was Tuesday. In the middle of the night, he woke us up and said, you got to move your car. I said, where? We parked on the street. He said, street sweeper comes certain days, weeks, you go that, and you got to be on that side. you got to make sure it's on that side. And I mean, we were there for three weeks. We moved that car back and forth so many times. I can't even ta- count how many times we moved from that side to that side to keep from it getting smashed by the street sweeper. But such is life and living in Yonkers. And uh, we learned how to work the subway system. And he said, Wednesday night church is going to start. And we said, where is it at? And he gave us directions. We wanted to go early and pray, which we did. And they got time for service to start, and there's no pastor. It was 15 minutes late, no Dick Tracy. I didn't know what happened to him. I didn't know if he'd gotten beamed up or, or whatever happened to Dick Tracy. He disappeared. I didn't know. Finally, one of the ushers come running in. He said, the pastor's been mugged. I was like, Mugged? What does that mean? They said, we called the ambulance. He got knocked out. So we all go running out in the street, and the pastor's laying on the street bleeding, got hit in the head. And uh, he's laying there, and 9-11 comes, and the ambulances come. We're all praying over him. They get him to the hospital, and uh, they get him stabilized. He's got a concussion. He said, guys, I'm so sorry. He said, I was just getting out of my car and coming to the church the first night of revival. And, and I didn't know I got, I, I got jumped and they, they hit me over the head with something. I don't know what happened, but he said, I blacked out. And we're going to have to cancel the revival. We were like, no problem. You just get healthy. That's the main thing. So he was in the hospital and he was recovering from his injuries and all. And the next day I said to my buddy, what are we going to do? He said, let's get on the subway and go down, go down to, uh, Manhattan, which we did. The subway runs all the way up to Yonkers. So we got on the subway, and we were trying to make sure we didn't get robbed. Now, we were looking at everybody at this point. Every gang member that got on there, we were eyeballing them. My friend said, just keep your hands in your coat like that. They'll think he got a weapon or something. So here I am from Palm Bay, Florida, trying to look bad in New York City. 
we we went down we went down to Manhattan, walked all around, and I just got so moved by all the people on the streets. We got on the subway and we were headed back up there, and my friend said, "What do you want to do?" And I said, "What do you what do you think we go and get a bunch of tracks, and we just get out on the streets, and we just start witnessing the people." And he said, that'll be great. Let's do that. He said, I saw when we were down there at the church that they got a bunch of tracks. So I said, okay, see if we can. We don't want to bother the pastor because he's trying to recover. We didn't have anywhere to go. And all of our stuff was on the fifth floor. We didn't want to move. So uh, <laughs> we, we went down to the church, got all these tracks. We made up our mind. The next day we were going to go down. We'd already spotted a little shopping plaza. We were going to go down there on the streets. We thought we'd go down there on the streets and it'd be like a Billy Graham crusade. Pentecost style. Boy, we'd just start talking and people would come by the droves and would line up and, oh, it was going to be something. Boy, were we in for a rude awakening. We got cussed out. We got spit on. Everything you can imagine. We'd like to invite you, and we had our tracks. We'd like to invite you, and we'd like to invite you, and we'd like to invite you. And nobody wanted to be invited. And boy, by the time that day was over, we went back to that fifth floor flat, and we were licking our wounds. And I said, I don't know if I want to go back out there tomorrow. And my buddy said, we can't stop now. And I said, all right. We went out the second day. Same thing. Seemed like it was worse. We went back out the third day. Somewhere around the middle of the day on the third day, some fellow had been sitting over there listening to us. I didn't even know there was anybody listening. We were trying to pass out tracks, and literally people would throw them down. We'd go back and pick them back up and say, we can use them again. Nobody took that one, you know. We were recycling tracks. And this one fellow came over, and he said, do you people believe in baptism in Jesus' name? And we said, oh, yes, absolutely. He said, I want to be baptized. And I said, okay, well, we're going to reach. We were, had, by that time, we had re-decided re the pastor was doing good. We were going to start revival the next week. I said, we're going to have revival the next week. And come. He said, I want to be baptized now. We said, right now? He said, right now. And I said, okay. Well, let's see, there's water. Is there water in the baptistry? Do we take them to the church? We didn't know how to get to the church. We were a long ways from the church. Is there anybody around here that knows where any water is? There was some other people milling around, some people that worked in some of the, it was like a little hardware store. We asked them, do you want Nobody knew. Can we get water? Is there a lake somewhere? Is there, there's a pool? Is there a pool company? Is there a jacuzzi? They sell jacuzzis. We'll baptize them in church. We were looking for anything that had water. And out of nowhere, this little fellow appeared. He was kind of a wiry guy. And I said, do you know where he come right toward us? So I figured he had an answer. And I said, do you know where we can find some water? This man wants to get baptized. He said, I don't know about any water. But he said, I know how to turn that fire hydrant on right there. And I said, fire hydrant? He said, yep. I've got the tool that will open it up. I said, well, go get it. I, I think back now, and I think we must have been crazy. We were crazy. But there's an anointing on the streets. I said to this fellow, you okay getting baptized in the fire hydrant? He said, why not? It's got water in it, right? I said, yeah. He said, sounds good. 
I said, now we believe you got to be immersed in baptism. So we're going to soak you down really good. He said, I'm ready. I promise you God is my witness. He went and stood right in front of the fire hydrant. That little wiry guy come back out there with that wrench and turn it on. And when it did and that water hit that guy, it threw him about 10 feet. We had the pastor knocked out and our first convert was knocked out. I went over to him and I said, hey, are you okay? He said, did anybody say in Jesus' name? I said, not yet. And he got back up. By this time, the water was finding its, its own pace. And we got him in front of that fire hydrant. And I said, now you got to be soaked. He said, all right. He stood in front of that thing and he stood with his back to it. And we said, in Jesus' name. He turned around and sighed, Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Jesus' name. We thought we had him real good. He said, wait. He put his head down. Jesus' name. He was coming out on the street. He got down on the street and rolled around in the water and said, In Jesus' name. Now people are starting to come. People coming from all over now. People say, We want to get baptized. I said, Now wait a second. This is not just a water park here. We're baptized in Jesus' name. They said, Well, tell us what we got to do. I said, you must be saved. you got to be baptized in the name of Jesus. There's no other name like the name of Jesus. Do you believe in Jesus? They said, we believe. We started baptizing one person after another in the fire hydrant. We got all done. I said, now, you got to be filled with the Holy Ghost. They said, what's that like? I said, we're going to pray for you. You're going to get filled with the Holy Ghost. And when you do, you're going to start to speak words out you don't understand. They said, let's do it. We lined them all up. We were in the parking lot in Yonkers, New York. We started praying. Oh, there was an anointing that came on Chris and I. We started praying for these people, and they started getting the Holy Ghost in the parking lot in Yonkers, New York. After a whole bunch of them got the Holy Ghost, I invited them all to church. We gave them all tracks. They said, we'll be there. On the first night of revival, they started coming and bringing their friends. We started baptizing people. That church had a revival. The pastor told me later they doubled in two years, and they're still having revival. You know why? Because there's something about the streets. Oh, I thank God for our prison ministry. I thank God for those that are not afraid to get into the streets and win them to the Lord. We've noticed even last year that God does something special. When we got out in Bayside High Gymnasium and had a special, as it were, street crusade, we... We were in the gymnasium. We were scheduled for the football field, but the rains and all came, you know. But then we started just opening up that gymnasium. People started coming and getting saved, filled with the Holy Ghost. People sometimes will come where they're afraid to come to church. I've had a lot of friends tell me, and I'm sure you've had them too. Boy, if I went in that church, the whole roof would split in half. I said, there's worse sinners than you that are already in the church and have been for a good. You're fine. You're going to be good. The, the roof will be fine. But sometimes people even feel like they're being disrespectful by coming to a church. 
because they know all their own junk. They know all their own mistakes. They know all their own faults. But I'm thankful that God, hallelujah, has got an anointing that will find you where you are. I feel the Holy Ghost just talking about it. And so... That Sunday morning, I'll never forget, there was an anointing that happened in that gymnasium and a whole bunch of our children, the children of people that are members of this church, begin to be filled with the Holy Ghost. And just a couple of weeks ago, or maybe it was even last week, we had 18 children filled with the Holy Ghost in our vacation Bible school. You know why? Because if you'll reach for the streets, God will begin to save those that are closest to you. He'll begin to reach for those that you love. He'll begin to take care of the ones that are Precious to you. If you'll be concerned about the lost, God will be concerned about your own family because there's a spillover effect to the anointing of God that comes from the streets. I think we ought to be praying for people on the streets of Palm Bay. At Christmas parades and fireworks displays, we need to reach for the streets. We want everybody to come to the building, but maybe God is saying we need to get out of this building and we need to get in the street. I said, we need to get into the streets. It doesn't matter. You don't have to have it all perfected. I remember a few years ago, Brother Spencer will remember, we started something called Operation Saturation. We had a big map back here. And on Saturday mornings, uh, we'd go out and just put door hangers on doors. Uh, and we said, we've got a goal in one year to put a door hanger on every door in the city of Palm Bay. Do any of y'all remember that? And we would highlight what streets. Uh, and so we would drive, and we would just do drive-by vans. we just put door hangers on the doors uh, going all the way down. And, and it was so awesome. Awesome. And you say, well, how many people got saved? I don't know. But I remember bringing my boys with, they were just little fellas, and they would pray that they'd get a house that somebody wasn't milling around the front door or somebody cutting the grass. They'd want to go to the houses that were all boarded up and look like people hadn't been there in six months. They had somebody out in the front yard. They said, Dad, you take that one. And we would go down the streets and then we'd go behind door hangers and all that. And it was all done. We'd go to 7 Eleven, get a Gatorade. And recently we were even talking about that. Do you remember when we went door to door of Angela? Oh, there's something special about it. I'm thankful, hallelujah, because when it came time for the Lord to protect my son in an automobile accident a few months ago, even the police officer had to say, somebody has kept his hand on you. You know what I believe? There's a protection for those that aren't afraid to witness in the streets. Come on, somebody. you got to get a bird and a desire. He has blessed us, but we can't abandon the streets. Let me hurry. i got, I got to show you something in the Word of God. Turn to Genesis chapter 19. Oh, there's something special about the streets. Now, the Lord showed me that I, I haven't been able to get away from it. I believe there's a special angelic presence that's on the streets. Look at Genesis 19. Now, the context of this story is a lot. You know, Abraham's nephew, he's gone to the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. He's done well in terms of political connections and city governments. He sits in the gates. That's where the city leaders sat. But he's got so acclimated to his culture, he's lost sight of how wicked it's become. Oh, God, help us. Apostolics, help us in these last days not to become deaf, dumb, and blind to everything going on around us. 
lost his sensitivity to those that were in desperate need. And the Bible says in Genesis 19.1 that there came two angels to Sodom and Eve. I mean, the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah became so wicked that their wickedness came up as a stench in the nostrils of God. And so they came at even, at nighttime. Two angels. They didn't look like angels. They didn't have big wings. They're just, they look like men. Theophanies. Angelic presence in a human body. They're still around, by the way. The Bible said we entertain angels unaware. And so these two men show up, and it's toward evening, and Lot sat in the gate of Sodom. And Lot, seeing them, rose up to meet them, and he bowed himself with his face toward the ground. Must have been something in Lot to know that these men were not just the average tourists. And he said, Behold now, my lords, turn in, I pray you, into your servant's house and tarry all night and wash your feet. You know, back then when we got nighttime, you had to know where you were going. You could just, you know, pop into a Motel 6 or something. It's night. And, and, and Lot knew that these strangers needed a place to stay. They arrived at night. Come into my house. I'll, I'll take you. You tear, you wash your feet, get cleaned up. And in the morning, you can be on your way. Just for tonight, we want to make sure you're taken care of. And they said, nay or no, but we will abide in the street all night. These angels were sent for the street. To be in the street. Could it be that the street has angels that are stationed just for reaching those that will never darken the door of a church? They're on assignment. And they're on the street. Instead of waiting for them to show up in the church, you may never experience that angelic host. Why not go to the streets? You know, in January, we set a vision for this church that in this year, 2022, our theme would be two by two. We want to go out and witness two by two. We talked about how the Lord sent them out two by two. Even Paul, when he traveled, he traveled with a companion. It was either Barnabas or it was... um, Silas, there were different people that he that he traveled with, two by two. And every day I come and I see that theme and I see it up there, two by two. And it puts me under conviction. What have we done this year? Here we are in the middle of July. We're halfway through this year. It's unbelievable. We're already halfway through 2022. And I start to feel like, what have we done to reach the streets? You say, oh, but you know, you had a crusade at Bayside High. And I know... But oh, my friend, here's what I'm feeling in my heart. I'm feeling a burden that God is calling East Wind. You need to find a prayer partner. You need to find somebody. It could be your spouse or a friend in church. But I'm calling on you to get a burden for the streets. I'm calling on East Wind to go out and to witness two by two, whatever, however. God will honor it. It doesn't have to be organized by the church. It can just be something that you can do, something that's in your heart, something that's in your mind. I'll talk to our staff. We'll organize things from a church standpoint. But, oh, I believe what could happen in this city if we begin to go out into the streets, as the Word of God says, and compel them to come, to go into the highway 
trees and the hedges and invite them to the wedding feast. Invite them to the house of God where the Lord has a table that is spread and the saints of God are fed. If we go to the streets, there'll be an anointing. There'll be a power. There'll be an authority that you will never feel until you get out into the streets. You say, I'm not sure how to, how to do that, Pastor. Well, there's tracks we can give you. You can teach a Bible study. You can partner up with somebody. You say, the year's already half over, but we still got half a year to go. What would happen in Palm Bay and Melbourne if we started going into the streets two by two? Finding people. You understand what I'm saying when I'm saying the street? I'm talking about people that are out there. Whether it's on your job, or it's in your school, or it's in your neighborhood. You just start to talk about Jesus. Or in Walmart. Or in Publix. And you just started going out talking about what the Lord has done. You started to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Oh, the Lord has been so good to me. I know our goal is not to lead them into the streets, uh, to bring them to the house. And there's certainly precedent for that throughout Scripture. They'd win them in the streets, and then they would bring them to the synagogue, or they'd bring them to the house. Uh, they'd get them in the city of refuge. Uh, and I know that. I know that the street is more than just a destination for born-again believers. Uh, but it's filled with those that are disoriented and disillusioned. I watched just a couple of weeks ago as my wife and I were in New York City and we walked through Times Square and I just saw these thousands and thousands of people and I just saw how miserable people were the plight of humanity looking for the next high looking for some hope trying to make sense of the demise that they are in and here you and I are we've got the gospel of Jesus Christ Oh, my friend, you and I have got the answer for what people need. There's something powerful about it. It may be somebody living in a box under the bridge. It may be somebody at a homeless camp in the middle of the woods. It may be somebody in a drug rehab center. But if we get into the streets, I've come to declare to you today that there will come an anointing. There will come a power and an authority that will spread throughout your entire family. Would you stand to your feet? The very fact that God designed this gospel for the street is the single greatest hope afforded mankind. The Savior of the streets. He can bring relief to those that are searching. That ought to give some encouragement to somebody here today. You don't have to come from a pristine environment. For God to reach for you. He's already there. He's close. He is near. No, my friend, you don't have to be problem free for God to love you. All you got to do is reach out. He can turn the street into something beautiful. How many of us could share testimonies of what God has brought us from? Why should we abandon Everybody else that's still on a journey. They may not know what it is to be in the presence of God. But they can feel the love of God through a man or a woman, a boy or a girl. They will say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
Bible said when he filled us with the Holy Ghost in the book of Acts that he did it to give us power to be witnesses. Not to just gather in our concaves. Not to just gather in our holy huddles. But to be witnesses. I can't get away from this burden. He's called us to be witnesses. Then we go all the way down to Revelation 21, 21. And we get a glimpse through the revelation of John what heaven looks like. And it says, in the twelve gates were twelve pearls. Every several gate was of one pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold. As it were, transparent glass. God even turns the street. That that represents the dirt, the grime. The pain, the sorrow, the desperation. How did you end up on the streets? Street walkers, street talkers, street artists, street peddlers. Everything associated with the street is of despair, destitute. John says, when I saw heaven, the streets were made of gold. God can turn the very thing that's our desperate situation into something so beautiful. Oh, my friend, if he cares about the street, don't you think he cares about the people that are on the streets? They can't get through another day until they get another shot up their veins or until they get another bottle of liquor. Don't you think God cares? about the streets oh every head is bowed and every eye is closed I feel the presence of God in this place you feel a burden in your mouth you feel it in your heart something that wants you to proclaim a commitment to him something that's reaching deep within you got a burden for the lost why don't you step out of where you're standing why don't you come down to this front? We're going to pray a prayer in just a moment. Maybe you're here today and you're not even you're not even sure of your own salvation yet. God will save you. You say, "Well, Pastor, I got to get all cleaned up." No, you don't. Just come as you are. Pastor, I've made mistakes even this week. I'm ashamed of. I understand. But God will reach you where you are. I said, God will reach you where you are. He'll make something beautiful. I said, He'll make something beautiful. Oh, Pastor, I wasn't raised in church. I didn't, I didn't have a family to bring me to church as a boy. I understand. This gospel was designed for you. It wasn't designed for people that are perfect. It was designed for those that are hurting, those that are suffering, those that are not sure about tomorrow. Oh, my friend, I've come to tell you that God loves you. He's got a special presence that he wants to put upon you. Come on, don't let the enemy talk you out.
There's a God right now that will put something upon you. He'll put the mantle of His presence. The anointing of God will be upon you. Come on, all over this building right now, why don't you lift up your hands? Would you say, Lord, here I am. I come, Lord, before you right now. In the midst of all of my hurt. In the midst of all of my confusion. I come right now, Lord. Hear my cry, oh God. Come on, turn this altar into a street beat right now. Give us holy boldness. I declare you, Lord. I declare your greatness. Come on, let him reach for you right where you are. Don't be afraid to use your voice. He won't turn you away. He won't embarrass you. God is a gentle Savior. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Yeah.